Let's come back to our seats. There'll be plenty of time to hang out this afternoon at the open house party. Yeah. yeah. Don't sound too excited. No. But yes, everybody's come back to their seats. I'm gonna gonna pray really quick. And uh, yeah, Emily, sorry about that. You don't look that much like your sister. So. <laughs> Let me pray. God, I just pray that you would bless this time um, with your presence. We prayed for you to come, and Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. And I pray that you would. Fill this place, fill our hearts, as you did in the book of Acts, chapter 2, when you filled the hearts and, the, and the, changed the lives of your disciples. I pray that you would do that type of work here. Lord, we ask for a revival in our midst, <clears throat> not playing church or anything. We want to see you moving in our lives and in the lives of those around us that we love. And we thank you for your love for us. I pray that we would hear the word you want us to hear from this um, this these scriptures, this message today, Lord, and I pray that you would um, just bless the speaking of it. Speak to our hearts and change our lives in your precious name. Amen. It's been a while since I've sang and spoke. It's a little bit more of an endurance thing than I remember. I have to drink more water. Yeah. There was a couple of days this week when I realized the only fluid I drank was coffee, which is not good. <laughs> and there was a lot of it, too. It was... Fluid, not food. Fluid, fluid, liquid people. Coffee could be considered a drinkable food, but we will move on. So today's kind of our last week of Advent, which is the time before um, Christmas. This is kind of the last Advent message. Technically, we do light that if, you, if you're following along, you know, we do light this center Christ candle, as it's called, next Saturday at the Christmas Eve service to celebrate Jesus being born and that kind of thing. And but this is going to be the last message about Advent that uh, we're going to be going through. And if you haven't been with us, just a little recap. Advent is a traditional church time which is designed to contemplate the second coming of Jesus predominantly. The second coming of Jesus in light of the first coming of Jesus. It's not mostly a pre-Christmas thing. It's designed hundreds of years ago, maybe even closer to thousands years ago, by people to reflect on the, the Jesus' second coming. And our condition in light of that, our, our condition uh, like without God, where are we in the world and in, you know, the universe and all that kind of thing? And the answer is not good. You know, like we've, I was talking about these, these four candles have been rethemed kind of in the 20th century or so, you know, love, peace, joy, and hope and whatever, you know, which is all good. These are all good things. But originally they were designed to be um, death, judgment, heaven, and hell in that order which is not exactly an upper, you know, it's supposed to, but it's designed to make you consider our need for God because we can be, you know, uh, drawn into being asleep, the Bible would call it like asleep, spiritually asleep and unaware of like our true state before God and all that kind of thing. And so that's why some of these uh, scriptures we read sound pretty serious. And if you remember last week, we were talking about John the Baptist and today's going to be the last one where we talk about John the Baptist. Um, but really, one more time, since it's the last Advent, I want to go through, I had put on our website, and all this stuff is on our website, um, so I'm going to breeze through it, and I have mentioned this before, but we, it's a, this Advent time has been a time for us to kind of look at our attitude, maybe, our condition, our approach to life, how we think about ourselves, God, and things like that, so that we don't just 
miss it or be so str like the world is stressed out right now you've noticed this and as followers of Jesus it's not like well I guess we're stressed out too no that's not the approach and Advent is a good time to realize like okay this it's right that the world freaks out because you know death judgment heaven hell that's that's kind of you know what I'm saying like these are the ser the seriousness of our eternal condition or spiritual condition, our life isn't good when you don't know Jesus, when you don't know who God is. And that finds its way out in all of the horrible things people do to each other. So as Christian people, we shouldn't be surprised by that. But as Christian people, we are living against the grain of that all the time. Sometimes it does great things involving other people. Sometimes it ends up getting you killed. I mean, and you see that in the Bible. And I'm not trying to, like, make a joke out of that. It's just the truth, you know. And so I made a collection of books, which I know you're not going to all read all of these. But you should at least take note of them because there's going to be a time when you need to read one of these. And if you're about to go on a road trip and you're thinking, okay, I'm about to go visit family and I'm going to be in the car for four or five hours, maybe download one of these as an audio book and listen to it on the way rather than just, you know, whatever. So I'm going to go through these books one more time because the, kind of if you took all these books and put them into a blender and uh, that's kind of the stuff we've been drinking over the last couple of weeks that I've been putting into a lot of these messages. And so the first book I wanted to recommend for us in our, and they're listed under our website as, um, they're listed as uh, not required reading. I think they say Advent reading for those so inclined. Do y'all have it? What's going on? It's in there. Well, well, I'll just go through them because I know what they are. The first book is called, um, and if you go to our website, which is maranathajacks.com or maranatha.link, um, the, uh, the first book is called A Non-Anxious Presence, and it's by a man named Mark Sayers. And what this book is about is that when the world is freaking out, our role as a church isn't to freak out right along with it. It's to be trusting of God. And, and you can see that there's times when the world freaks out, and he goes into that, and how we can be just by not freaking out the light into this dark place, right? But it's not easy to do because everything, everything you see online, everything you see in the news wants to tell you, you should be freaking out right now. And God is saying, no, you don't need to. And, it, and actually, it's a really good encouraging time because when the world tends to freak out, people tend to find their way contemplating these things and then revivals happen. And that's right where we are in human history. So it's actually a really hopeful time. Another book I recommend here is The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by a man named John Mark Comer, another pastor. And this book is just about how much time we waste and how much stress we feel in our lives is actually self-inflicted. He has a thing in the book that he says that an average person interacts with their phone 2,000 times a day, which is crazy. That's average. Kids, it's like way higher. You know, and so we're trying to like grow spiritually in that kind of environment. It's very difficult. And it, frankly, and it's not the kind of environment that the disciples were in you know, when they were praying in a room for, you know, weeks after Jesus. You know what I'm saying? They weren't all checking their phones the whole time, you know? So we were in a distracted culture, which ends up, you know, messing with things. I also put in a book on Advent by Fleming Rutledge, which is just great about the subject matter and everything. And then uh, last two books, that since this book is about the second coming of, uh, of Jesus, I put in a book because that can sometimes draw a lot of, like, people get really nervous about that. Like, you're telling me not to be nervous, and now you're talking about the second coming of Jesus. It makes me feel nervous. I put in a book here called Not Afraid of the Antichrist by Michael Brown and Craig Keener. And a lot of what happens when we discuss the end times, because the end times are, they are great and terrible. They're great because it's Jesus coming back to finally, in every way, in every possible way, like there's that Christmas carol, as far as the curse is found. As far as the curse is found, he's making everything right. 
It's great. This is the best, the best day ever in history, and it will be even better after that as it just continues to live itself out. But it's the worst day ever if you want to kind of continue the illusion that's happened since the fall that, like, you kind of run the place. You know, you're like, I want to be God. You're like, well, you're going to find out you're not. And wherever you're standing on that, it's a very bad day, okay? And so, but a lot of the fear that Christian people end up feeling about the end times are like, oh, gosh, I don't, you know, is, is kind of tied up into this more very new novel concept of this kind of pre-tribulational rapture thing, which if you don't know what those words mean, you should read the book. And, you know, you might find out that a lot of what people just assume is happening at the end times when Jesus returns isn't really in the Bible. And so it kind of found its way out in an interesting story. But this idea that God is going, Jesus is going to return and we will be called up to meet with him, that's the rapture. But then there's this period of time before that where a lot of bad things are happening. And that period of time extends all the way back to the Bible, like the end of the Bible. Like that's when this phase started. And there's probably going to be an increasing of it at the end. But there's people that have been experiencing suffering and tribulation the entire last 2,000 years as they follow Jesus. And God saves us through that. He doesn't show up magically beforehand and take us out of this. Whether you feel like So there's this whole thing about the left behind books and all that kind of stuff. Maybe interesting stories. I haven't read them. But the premise isn't exactly biblical. And the reason I'm taking the time with this is a lot of fear gets into kids' minds. And you have these things about what if you're left behind and all this kind of stuff. And it's just not exactly in the Bible. And it causes a lot of Christian people. Like I think non-Christian people have a lot to be afraid of about the end of the world, all right? Christian people do not. But a lot of Christian people end up having a lot to be afraid of about the end of the world because of some of these ideas. This book addresses a lot of those. It's very heady what I just said. But if you're saying some of that's interesting to me, I would like to not be afraid of the end of the world, you should read Not Afraid of the Antichrist because it's really good. And then probably one of the best books I've read in the last four or five years, Suffering is Never for Nothing by Elizabeth Elliot. If you've been going through a hard time, you need to read this book and really contemplate God with you in suffering because he does not save us from tribulation. He saves us through it. We read this in the end of John. And go back and read those chapters, John 14 through 17, in that whole section where Jesus is leaving from his disciples. I'm sending you into the world. I'm just praying that the evil one, that he keep you from the evil one, but not that you're going to not experience bad things. You will, Okay. And so we need to be ready for that because when you think that if I follow Jesus, nothing bad will ever happen to me, when bad things do happen to you, because they will, you start to question the whole thing. But the premise was broken from the beginning. Okay? That's why these books are important. Now, back to the message. Are there any scriptures in that computer at all? Nothing? Okay, well, it doesn't matter. I can read them. Um, Because what I'm preaching on today is, and I'm going to go quickly through this. I'm going to paraphrase most of it. I have some references here. Um, so if you want to read further, but you can find them. I mean, you can Google all this stuff. It's not that hard. These scriptures we read for the candles is basically what we're going to talk about. And there's going to be some main points, or two main points I want to pull out of them, um, and then connect them sort of to the theme of love. Because we talk a lot about following Jesus and suffering maybe for Jesus and all this kind of stuff. And none of that makes any sense if you don't understand and frankly live in an experience of God's love for you and for those around you. Otherwise, it's just kind of at best like I'm doing the right thing so I don't get in trouble or something like that, which is not a Christian life, okay? You know, um, that's not life more abundantly, as Jesus would say, right? But we're going to talk about John the Baptist again. And these, the this, this scripture that we read in Luke um, is Luke 1, 46 through 55. Um, and that's, th- these are when 
a couple weeks ago we talked about the angel coming to visit Zechariah, John the Baptist's dad, and telling him, you're going to have a son. He's going to prepare the way for the Messiah. And he's like, but I can't. I'm old. And then this whole thing happens. And then it goes to the, in Luke chapter 1, you can keep reading. And then the angel visits Mary and says, hey, you're going to have a son. He is the Messiah. And she's like, yeah, how is that going to happen? I'm not, I haven't, I'm not married yet. And there's things, you know. And so um, he's like, don't worry. God can work it out. She says, okay. And, um, and then he goes back to Mary, goes to visit Elizabeth, who's Zechariah's um, wife, while they're both pregnant. So, like, John is further along, and Jesus is coming, and they're both pregnant. And so we want to look at this because I'm going to quickly run through John the Baptist and Jesus' interactions and then pull two key points from that that I think should encourage every single one of us, Okay. Because we are like John the Baptist, that's the whole kind of point, that John the Baptist, and this is in the, from that Fleming Rutledge book, she says, John is a central figure of Advent. He's the herald of the turn of the ages. He arrives announcing the open event of the end time, back then, the end time. He is the herald of the age to come, as prophesied by Malachi at the very end of the Old Testament. And that's, we read those scriptures a couple weeks ago, Malachi 3 and 4 and stuff. They talk about, I'm going to send. And that's why the guys, when they arrange the, what we call the Old Testament, that's not the same order that the Jewish people keep the Hebrew Bible in. But they put Malachi at the end because there's kind of a gap of a couple hundred years. And then all of a sudden, John the Baptist shows up. And so it's kind of like, pay attention, there's a guy coming. And then, it's, and then, hey, that guy showed up. You see what I mean? So it was done on purpose to tell a story like that. Um, and so the Bible reading we have is when Mary goes to meet Elizabeth, and uh, and I'll just read it. Uh, well, let me see. I had some of these other things in here. I'll paraphrase. So G- so Mary goes to visit Elizabeth, and and so Jesus is actually John's cousin. Like you know, I don't know. Can't can't remember if it says exactly how, but they're like first cousins or whatever. So like, you know, they know each other. And you need to keep in mind that their culture isn't the same as like ours right now where you might not even really well know the neighbor across the street. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, it's a funny thing that happens. I don't know if you've been in, if if you've been in your neighborhood and then a hurricane happens and all the power's out and everybody goes outside and everybody's talking to each other for the first time. Like, Man, this is, I started thinking about, like, maybe we should turn the power off more often and we'd actually get to know each other. Because, but that's how they lived. They didn't have a TV or electricity or air conditioning, so they hung out outside. And also, like, when you read, like, city and towns, the numbers aren't as millions as they are now where everybody kind of knew what was going on. It's so, like when you read about Jesus or these people coming in in Jerusalem, like, everybody knew kind of everything that was going on. And, you know, so Jesus and John the Baptist weren't only related, weren't only like dealing with angelic foretellings of their coming, you know, and all this sort of stuff. They actually like knew each other. I suppose they spent time together, maybe celebrated holidays together, or at least saw each other some growing up because they knew each other. And you see in this story, Mary goes to visit Elizabeth and the baby, John, in her womb, hears Mary's voice and jumps, or it says leaped, you know, or leapt. And This is an interesting, this is actually a side note, but I want you to just have this in your mind. When you're contemplating, like right now in our society, there's a lot of talk about when life begins. And, you know, we talk about um, um, 
the idea of, of abortion being killing a life and be like, well, no, it's not. It's not a baby yet and all this kind of stuff. This is the kind of thing you need to see in the Bible because as Christian people, our views on this subject need to be informed by the Bible and God's value for life that you need to see in this story that not only does God tell with angels exactly, like you're having these children and they're people now. They're not like they will be. I mean, they will be born. There is a born moment. But it's very important that they left in this detail that while John the Baptist was in the womb, he is testifying of who Jesus is. He can't help but do that. And he's that person then. He doesn't become that person later, okay? He's put in there by God. And that will matter later in what I'm going to say. But when you're contemplating things like when does life begin, you need to really think about these sorts of things because I would tell you that John is John at that point, okay? He doesn't become John, you know, just when he's born. But John is sent by God to do this thing. And, he, and John declares the way for Jesus just like we would be to do. He preaches repentance and he's baptizing. We went through that last week. He's saying, hey, guys, you know, you need to repent. You need to live differently because the king and the kingdom is right happening now. And I and it wants you to be a part of it and not be wiped out by it. And you can see in Matthew there's parallel passages. We read out of Luke but you know, uh, and Mark, but there's there's... All the Gospels, not all of them talk about exactly the same things, but they all tell similar stories. And in Matthew, you see this, in Matthew 3, 1 through 6. In those days, in, this is when he's older now. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, and this is a quote, A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. This is us, guys. This, we live in a wilderness world, and we're calling, make ways for him, make paths for him. John, and then here goes, John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist, which is meant to, like not fancy, okay? Then his food was locusts and wild honey, which is not great. And people went out to see him from Jerusalem and Judea and all the whole region, confessing their sins and were baptized by him in the Jordan River. And so John is living this prophetic life, making way for Jesus to come. And he emphasizes Jesus, not himself. Because when people ask him, like, well, are you the guy, the Messiah guy, like the Jesus guy? He's like, no, no, I'm not. I'm making way for him. I'm the guy. And he says that in Matthew 3, further down in 11, he says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And we talked about that, that that was both empowerment of the Holy Spirit to live a Christian life and also fire to like burn out the bad stuff, which doesn't always feel good, you know. You could hear in that even hellfire, okay? That's what he's baptizing the world with. But then also when John the Baptist's disciples, when Jesus starts to take on, you might remember this when we went through John, when Jesus starts to take on, you know, more of a following, some of John the Baptist's disciples are like, hey, man, more people care about him than care about you. And he's like, yes, that's how it's supposed to work. And he says this in John 3, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends to the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. He must become greater, and I must become less. And so he's emphasizing Jesus and not himself, which is a posture that we should carry. But then John has an interesting um, interaction also with Jesus, where Jesus comes to get baptized just like everybody else. And John's like, whoa, yo, I, like, I'm not supposed to baptize you. You're supposed to baptize me. And Jesus is like, no, let's do it because this is proper and it needs to be done. But then this interesting thing happens, and many of you know this is also in Matthew 3, verse 13 
Starting, so Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John, but John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and why do you come to, or by, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented, and, the, and as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at the moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descend on him like a dove, in other trans, he talks about like you know this is in here the voice of God saying this is my son in whom I'm well pleased and all this kind of thing. That's a pretty so, that's several key touchstone moments that Jesus and John the Baptist have had that we have recorded and I assume there's even more right. Just keep all that in mind right because some of you have grown up you've seen God do things you've been around church you've been around other Christian people you've seen God move in your life you can tell stories testimonies of God doing things. And they were real. They are real, just like this is real. And it says he in this, he saw the Spirit of God descend like a dove. I don't know if that he is John or if that is Jesus or maybe it's everybody. I think one of the things it says, you hear the voice. But either way, like, you're going to remember it. You baptized Jesus and probably saw some demonstration or heard the voice of God or something. You know, every time we read a story like this in the Bible, you think, well, if I saw that, this is not the way to think about these things because you do see that. You just, you're just like the rest of them. You know, like you have seen it, you know. And if we really stopped and thought about it, you would remember when God has done things like this in your life. I'm just saying just to remember it. But then John goes on and gets arrested. He gets sent to prison because in part of his saying about turning from the bad things you're doing, he says about one of the local officials, Herod, he's like, hey, you should not be married to this, your brother's wife the way you, you know. And he's like, ah, I don't. And so, you know, Herod's wife is like, I don't like him. And so John, Herod is afraid of him, though, because everybody's, like, into what John is doing. So he kind of arrests him and tries to, like, let's not talk about that anymore. And then, But she wants him dead because he's been saying what she's doing is wrong, which is how people kind of react when you tell them you're wrong, you know, especially in our society where it's like, well, it's your truth, it's my truth, whatever. Well, you know, it makes everybody happy. And it's not how, like, that's fine, except for it doesn't, it's not true not true truth like that's not how truth works you know and i do understand that when we say your truth my truth what we mean is your opinion and my opinion but when you stand before god our opinion doesn't matter so much that's the reason i would emphasize that and um so that needs to be stated and so she didn't like that he was telling them god's opinion about what she was doing and it wasn't good so she found a way to get him killed all right really weird story we don't need to get into and so um the end of John the Baptist in the stories is Herod's wife finds a way to get him killed. And John the Baptist's disciples go bury his body. And so you might be going like, that's what you want me to do with my life? Like, that's literally, like, that's the end of the story is you want me to, you know, get, go to prison and get my head cut off for some sort of weird, it's not even like maybe adjacent to the Jesus story. It's not like because he stood for Jesus. Now he was, it was kind of like you said something that the, the king's wife or not king, but whatever, you know, the official's life didn't like and had, she had you killed somehow. And it doesn't sound that great. But remember what I said about suffering and God having purpose in it? Well, here's what I want. What I want you to do is to live out exactly what God has made you to be in this time, which is what John was from before he was born all the way till the end. And it's for God's glory and for the saving of other people, which is what John did. He lived out who he was supposed to be. And that life will involve greatness. It will involve miracles. And it will involve suffering, but with a purpose. 
Because I know that just like Elizabeth, there's something inside you that leaps in the presence of Jesus, and that needs to come out. And too often we keep that hidden for safety or whatever reason. You know, we're all different. But it needs to come out. It doesn't need to start existing. It already exists. God has put it in you, just like he declared before John the Baptist was born. Here's, and John the Baptist is an important guy, right? Like Jesus even says, there's no one even like him. Yeah, here it says, uh, when Jesus found, you know, <laughs> Jesus thinks so highly of John the Baptist. He says, I'll tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom is greater than he. So this is a weird statement that how highly Jesus values John and how important John is. Like there's a lot of scriptures in the Old Testament that prophesy the Messiah coming in Jesus, and Jesus fulfills them. But there's a, lot of pro- there's a lot of prophecies that prophesy the other guy coming, John the Baptist, I mean. So, I mean, he can like, you know, claim those, be like, that was talking about me, like literally. That's pretty important, you know, and all of us aren't as important. But then you get this, you know, Jesus just saying, yeah, guys, <laughs> you know, he was a prophet. He says this in this. You know, would you go out to see some fancy guy? He's like, no, you went out to see a prophet. And he was a prophet, and you saw him. He's like, and there's no one that's ever been born that's as great as this guy. And you're like, wow, well, that's a pretty important guy. And then he's like, but even the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he, which might include all of us indwelled by the Holy Spirit. That's a really weird thing to get your mind around. You know what I'm saying? But here are the things I want to go back to this. Because that's the story of John the Baptist. He fulfills exactly what God wants him to do, preparing the way for Jesus. And he does, and it's great. But then he dies kind of for it, uh, but he's non-compromising. And I'm telling you that, you know, we, looking at his life in this season of Advent, and we are sort of, you used to hear a lot of people talk about the John the Baptist generation. That was a big thing, you know, and we talk a lot about it. Like at IHOP, like even... <laughs> Some of you, this might be James and Angela days. Back, IHOP's website used to be FOTB.org, which was not, not they've cleaned that up. You, you can still go to it. I checked. It does go to IHOP. But it, that, that stood for Friends of the Bridegroom. So that was where their mind was. They're like, this is what we're supposed to be doing, you know. Um, they have a better URL now. But uh, that was like the O2 era. But, uh, yeah, so, so what I'm saying is that we are to live like Fleming Rutledge was saying, as heralds of this new, like we know the end. And the end is so awesome and so great. We can live, that can affect how we live now. And I think it should extremely affect it. And so often it doesn't. And that's what we're trying to get to is how do we live that way. And what I mean is that you can actually, in a way, claim some of these things. This is what, when Zechariah, you, you remember he doesn't believe the angel. We talked about this. And so they're like, okay, it's still going to happen, but you're not going to be able to talk until the baby's born because, you know, you didn't believe me. And so you don't want to be that guy either. And, I, and I'm not, not down on him. I'm just saying when angels show up, you should listen. But the, uh, uh, when he speaks and he says his name is John, he writes that down. His name is John. That's what the angel said. His name is John. And his mouth opens. And then he prays for John the Baptist and speaks these things over him. And these are the kind of things you could speak over each and every one of you in this room. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. I mean, how does that feel? Like, he's like, you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare a way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet to the path of peace. And you might be thinking, 
what? Who, me? Like, I, I can't do anything like that. Like, who am I to even remotely claim something like that? And I'm glad you asked that question because these are the two points that I want to really make today. It's not just about how awesome John the Baptist was or how faithful he was or about what he did and how much of the Old Testament was talking about him. It's to say how much that we are called to do exactly the same thing. And the scriptures that we read for the, when we lit the candle all the way at the beginning was from Micah 5, 2 through 5 and Luke 1, 46 through 55. And both of them emphasize this because the second one is Mary's response to Elizabeth when she goes... Because Elizabeth says all this great stuff like, you're so blessed and highly favored. And all this kind of thing. And Mary says some stuff back, and that's what this is. My soul magnifies the Lord and all. But if you look at the Micah verse that comes beforehand, which this was before, this was way before Jesus was born. And if you remember, just like Justin's song, it's like Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And even the prophet, they knew this. You know, they knew this was going to happen. But when you and I hear Bethlehem, we're like, oh, that's a really important place because Jesus was born there. But at the time, it's like, meh. Jerusalem's a big deal, you know, and this is like kind of next, like right by it, you know, and, you know, some of the, some of the tribes of, of, of Israel and Judah, like they were big, you know, it wasn't all equal, you see what I'm saying? Like you remember the, the Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, like there's, there's big names and then there's like other names. Like if I said name all the tribes, some of you would fall, you wouldn't get them all, you know, and there's like Naphtali and stuff. You're like, what happened to those guys? You know, so you have to hear it like that, like. Micah 5, 2, but you, O Bethlehem of Ephrathah, who are one of the little clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to rule in Israel. That would be like kind of God saying like, you, Middleburg, are where I'm going to pour out my spirit. And you'd be like, what? You know, or Palatka or something. You know, it's just kind of a place that you're like, that's not really that big of a place to think about, you know. And God's like, I've been thinking about it for quite a while, so, you know, and this, that's kind of the point that I want to make. It doesn't really matter what you think. You say God, uses, God has and will continue to use ordinary people to do extraordinary things. That's what the whole Bible is about. You know, yes, John the Baptist is awesome, but the least in the kingdom of God, which includes you guys, newsflash, can be greater than that by just being obedient to God. He doesn't need you to be awesome. He doesn't need you to think you're awesome. Your assessment of yourself is just wrong. I mean, that's just really the truth of it. It might be too high, it might be too low, but it's, you know, it's not right. Luke 1, this is what she said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on, with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me in his holy name. So don't worry if you're insignificant or unimportant. That isn't what God needs. What God needs is willingness. That's it. And you see this. So you know that I'm not making it up. <laughs> and when Mary responds to the angel when he's like, hey, guess what? News flash! You, unmarried person, are going to be the mother of the Messiah that's coming to save the entire universe. You might have a hard time hearing that, right? I mean, just think about it for a second. You're like, guess what? Boo. You know, and you're like, what? You know, and she had some practical questions. How is that going to happen? You know? And he's like, I got it worked out. Don't worry. But the... Uh, her final response is the right one. I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. That's the end. Just obedience. And here's the thing that I don't want you to hear in this, in this kind of, you know, Instagram world we live in, or TikTok world or whatever. 
you might be like, well, so you're telling me that if I surrender to Jesus, people will just start knowing me and my followers will go up and everyone will watch my videos and stuff. And I'm like, I'm not telling you that at all. <laughs> what I'm telling you is most of the kingdom work of God goes unnoticed. And we'll stand before the Lord one day and we'll all look around and be like, gosh, I mean, I, what, what God is into and what God is doing is so much more interesting and so much more. And it's not that everybody that we've heard of, like Elizabeth Elliot or something, is nobody in heaven. I'm not saying that. You know, it doesn't work that way. But what I am saying is that it just doesn't matter at all. <laughs> you know, and if you really start to look at those sorts of things that so captivate our minds of followers and views or whatever all this stuff is, if you, <laughs> Jesus kind of doesn't make it in that. You know, because at the times when he has the most followers, he preaches about drink my blood and eat my flesh and everybody leaves and, they're, and the disciples don't leave because they're like, well, gosh, I mean, I don't know what else to do. It's not really like, you know, they're kind of stuck almost, you know, or when they're like, hey, you know, Jesus, if you're going to be an important, if you're going to be an influencer on in the Internet, you need to act like one and do this and go into Jerusalem this way. He's like, I'm not doing that, you know, and I'm not saying that you can't be both. You can. And Jesus was frankly, very interesting to many people that he encountered. It just doesn't matter. You just take that and just throw it out. What it, and, and I can prove that if just read the book of Ecclesiastes. We were talking about this the other day. It's all just junk. You know, it just doesn't matter. You know, and God will give you what you need to have in your life, and that's the end of it. And there's the other thing that I really want to drive home, because I think you've all heard plenty of stuff. It's like, don't, you know, it doesn't matter if you're a nobody. God can do something extraordinary. You're like, I get it. Um, this might be more important. And this is this point, that you don't have to know what's going on. He does, okay? That's the faith that comes from this end, that we know the end, we know we're going to get there. You don't know how exactly you are going to get there, and I don't either. And I'm not going to even stand up here and pretend like I do. And I'm going to tell you this, it just doesn't matter. We get so hung up on the details. Like, if God could lay out all of it before you, as if that's even possible, and you could ponder it with, you know, and you could say, all right, then, God, I accept. I mean, I just don't think that's even, it's kind of arrogant and weird to even think that that would be part of the deal. God's just saying, newsflash, trust me, <laughs> you know. And what I mean by this, now, this is why I wanted to see this. An angel tells Zechariah that, that John is going to be born. An angel, big deal angel. And he says, are you sure? Like, seriously, I mean, like, I mean, yeah, be there, you know, it's like, are you sure? Like, most of us would be freaked out, and he's like, are you sure? So, but then, you know, they know, you know, even the guys they say in the story, they knew he saw a vision. They, people know, and again, small town, everybody knows an angel showed up and told him what he's going to do, and then he starts living into it. So they're like, okay, yeah, you know, and John is Jesus' cousin. They know each other, you know. John knows he's preparing the way. He's got the scriptures he can look at. And he, he says them about himself several times. I am the one doing this thing. Like, that's a big thing to claim. Like, Isaiah was talking about me. Remember when Jesus opens the scroll and says, today this is being fulfilled in your hearing? That's big deal stuff to do, you know? He knows that. John sees probably the, the, the dove come down on Jesus when he baptizes Jesus, you know, and he hears the voice of God and all this kind of stuff. So he knows all of this. He's had this whole experience. Many of us have had a whole experience, you know? And then there's an interesting thing. Jesus, in Matthew 17, calls him Elijah. He's like, this is a prophesied 
Elijah must come before the second, you know, before the, the before Jesus comes and everything like that. And Jesus is like, yeah, that was him. And John himself de- denies that. You might remember in, when we were reading through John, they're like, are you the Messiah? And he's like, no, I'm the one preparing the way for him. They're like, well, are you Elijah then? He's like, no, I'm not. I'm the one. And he starts quoting, preparing the way and all this kind of stuff. So what I, you have to hear what I'm saying to you in this. He was Elijah. He went forth in the spirit of Elijah. They said, Jesus says this. John says no. And what you don't hear in that is like, is the Bible wrong? No. What you hear in that is he doesn't always know everything either. Do you see what I'm saying? And that should be really hopeful for you because, you, you know, you don't have to. He's the greatest guy. He's doing everything that God wants him to do. And he doesn't quite know everything, okay? And Jesus is like, That's, that is exactly who he was. It's who he was the whole time. Just like you are who you are the whole time, okay? And you can't get away from it. And in case you're also like, are you sure? When John goes to, um, you can see in Luke 7 if you want to read about this. John is like arrested and stuff. Or like Jesus is becoming, you know, he's healing people. Things are starting to happen, you know. And the whole, you can look in the other, in, in the gospel of John where they're like, but he's getting more, people are following him more. And he's like, that's how it's supposed to be. He must increase, I must decrease this whole thing. And then, this very interesting thing happens in Luke 7 where John sends disciples to check. He's like, look, go to this Jesus guy. Like, just make sure, you know. And they ask him point blank to Jesus, are you the one or are we supposed to wait for somebody else, you know? And I can probably think if I was him that I'm like, you know, I'm doing my part. I know I'm not the Messiah. I'm doing what God's called me. I know the angel told me. I know I did baptize you. And I was into that. It seemed cool. Now I'm in prison, maybe. I, it's just, I just want to make sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so all this stuff I just laid out to you, an angel tells him, you know, he's related to him. He baptizes him. He sees them, you know. At the end of all of that, he still wants to make sure. And Jesus isn't in, he's not like, what? You? How dare you ask me this kind of question? I almost feel like when you read it, and it's not in there, but I almost hear almost Jesus laughing, like, because he doesn't respond, uh, you know, and just to, like Jesus, when he needs, when he doesn't need to mix words, he doesn't mix words with people. Like, he says some pretty tough stuff to people, pretty direct. So he's not the kind of person that's scared to engage, you know what I mean? Or he's just nice, you see? <laughs> Jesus is pointed when he needs to be, but he says, why don't you go back and tell him what you're seeing? And he starts, you know, making references to all this stuff in Isaiah about, like, people seeing and the people being set free and all this kind of stuff. Because Jesus knows exactly who he is. Jesus knows who John is. Jesus knows everything. And he's not intimidated by that. In the same way that he's not intimidated by us in the exact same place. But it comes down to this. A final surrender that I think John goes through where you, you can't, one of the biggest things about the serpent and the story in Eden, you know, God makes perfect existence, and then don't eat this one tree, the knowledge of good and evil, and the serpent lies to Adam and Eve and says, God doesn't want you to eat it, not because it's bad for you, just because you'll be just like him, and you'll know wrong, good and evil and all that kind of stuff. And then they end up eating it, and their eyes are open, it says, 
And from that moment, there's this sickness in all humanity and it comes out in all sorts of evil that we do, murdering each other, everything. And you see all these stories. There's one piece of it, which is this idea that you can maybe contemplate the whole, know what's going on, really get it. And I really like that this is in here because John, above a lot of other people in the Bible as a character, if you use it that way, knows exactly who he is. He knows exactly what God made him for. Like there's, there's like, here's what you're going to do. You know, okay. You know, and there's a, there's a handful of other guys that might have a similar type of claim. But he's not just guessing like the rest of us. Like, well, I don't know. I guess God wanted me to be born, you know, in the latter part of the 20th century in the Atlanta, Georgia to grow up and do, I don't, you know what I mean? And you kind of have to figure your way through it. Like, how do I fit into all this? Sort of, this guy has a, he has a list, you know, and his big name list, Isaiah, Malachi, you know, my, I'm all this kind of like, wow, this is big stuff. We don't have that in, in the same way. And even him still struggling at the very end, like, are you sure you're sure? <laughs> you know, this kind of thing. God can handle that. And I hear in Jesus' answer, he's absolutely, yes, that's the answer. Yes, I am the guy. Like, you don't have to worry about that. But it's also, it's also yeah, he's, he's like, I'm not surrendering over, you know, Jesus doesn't come in to your system and clean it up and make your life the better version of your life. You die and are reborn in his life, and he changes everything. When you try to, like, play games with it, it doesn't work. And he just can't halfway, you know, this whole, like, I want to be just Christian enough that I don't have to worry about anything, but I don't want to, you know, I don't want to, like, get weird, you know. There's no, there, that doesn't exist, you know. It's weird, you know. And God is asking you to it. But here, this is way, coming all the way back, so Kayla and Justin, y'all can come on up. The, uh, the, um, Actually, I want to sing that Psalm 23 song at the end, but in G. All right. The, uh, <laughs> I'm going to sing a song at the end, the, uh, since I'm singing today. Um, knowing that God can use anybody to do anything and knowing that you don't have to know what's going on for that to even happen and that God can redeem everything should be a big, huge sigh of relief. And we can see in John the Baptist that the things that we all worry about are the same kind of things that he worried about. But all of this, all of what I'm saying is kind of built on the foundation that I'm assuming that you're even interested in that. You're like, that you want to live for God or that you want to live a life serving Him or that you want to know Him better or that you want Him into your life. And some people are like, I'm not really that interested in that. I like things my own way, you know. And that's where the, the real theme of Advent comes out is that, like, the judgment that stands, like, that you can't accomplish this lie in your life. It's not possible. And the frankness and the hope that comes from this is that you have to give up at some point. And God will take you all the way to the end, you know, but you have to surrender to him. But you're not just surrendering to him because he's all-powerful and he could just destroy you at any moment. I mean, that should be enough of a motivation, you know, damnation, you know, the fire that burns the whole world as the new creation is born and all this kind of stuff. You don't want to be a part of that in the sense of uh, on the receiving end. Truly, 
Everything God's doing, everything God allowed John the Baptist to experience, everything that Jesus experienced when he came to this world, everything that Jesus did is motivated by God's core being, which is his love for us. And I can get lost in this whole thing because you just, you get lost in the ma the mightiness or the should be or whatever. None of this makes sense. It doesn't make sense um, for God to pick nowhere places to do amazing things. It doesn't make sense for God to pick nobodies to change the world through. It doesn't really make sense, in my mind, for God, all-powerful God, to come and be born as a baby at all. You know what I mean? It'd be nice. You know, like, maybe you could see, like, well, I see what you're doing there, being a human in the Adam thing. Like, I get this interesting. But you could just, like, show up at 30. He came as a baby that, like, had to be, like, carried around and stuff. But he does all that he does, and he invites us into doing all that what he wants us to do as part of a life of love. And none of what I said will make sense to you unless you know that. And that's not something I don't think you can just decide to do. That's why I've been praying for revival. When I say revival, what I mean is an encounter with the presence of God as serious as that is and as overwhelmingly loving as that is. Some of you don't know what it's like to feel love much at all, much less the never-ending love of God. You live a life on just crumbs of love, and he's got this feast set up before us. And he's not telling us to do things just to be mean or just, I'm going to boss you around because I can you know, and John the Baptist, like, I don't care how you feel about any of these things. He cares ultimately. He cares more than we care about ourselves. And that's why, in closing, we're going to read and then we're going to sing part of this Psalm 23. Because that's kind of been the guide that you need to understand. This all-powerful God, who is coming to judge the world, sent his son as a baby who lived a life on this earth and died on a cross and rose again showing that the, the grip that sin and death had on us is over and that God has inaugurated his kingdom among us and he invites us to join him now in light of the ultimate final inauguration that's coming where there will be no more tears of our eyes he'll wipe all tears away and all that kind of thing but right now Relating to him in this Psalm 23 way of as a good shepherd um, is the way that we need to live in this world because we do and we will, just like John and even just like Jesus, we will suffer in service of him, sometimes directly because of it. And that doesn't mean he's forsaken us. He just promises to be with us and that there's goodness built into it. So stand with me. I'm going to read this. And if we have it on the screen, you can read it. Psalm 23. And then after we read this, we'll sing this song. And I want you to, if you need to come and pray, come spend some time up front and pray. So the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. 
Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So, Father, I pray that you would reach out to each and every person here, each and every person online, each and every person that's even remotely connected to what we're saying and doing here. Even through our words, maybe later this this day or anything, that you would reach out with your powerful, overwhelming love and that we would relate to you on those terms. I pray that we would be people that love you with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbors as ourselves and truly reflect you and shine your light into this dark world. And we do hasten the day of your coming. And we stand like John the Baptist in this place between um, where things have begun but have not fully come. And we declare that you are king. And we just pray that you would fill this place and fill our hearts, Lord, with this knowledge and this experience that we would truly know what it is to be loved by you. In Jesus' name. So come forward and pray if you will.
person but only in the best ways if you follow what I mean by that. What ends up happening is something that's like Jesus living through us is exactly the person that we were meant to be the whole time. And so for some of you it will feel like a completely different life, a completely different person, a light instead of a darkness. For some of you it will feel like finally coming home don't have to feel afraid because it's the the good father the good shepherd that we're surrendering to and then he leads us into a life that might be filled with dramatic things like John the Baptist and declaring things to powers that be and going to jail and being beheaded and it might also just look like simple faithfulness in unseen places and all of those things are necessary and if it was easy as just a to-do list it could just give it to you and you could do it it's not like that but God is leading you like a shepherd and he wants you to follow so Father I pray that you would give us the courage to follow you and not to chicken out and make up a fake halfway version I pray that we'd be faithful people that are motivated entirely by your love for us your love for this world and your love for all those around us. And we love you and we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. 